Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to Why This Film, the podcast where we reach back into your childhood, pluck out a movie and have a chat about it. I'm Emily Slade and welcome back. You've watched it so many times before and now you're gonna watch it again. But it's been so many years since you last saw it and now you show it to your friends and they're like, what? What am I watching? Why? What? Why? Why this film? And I'm joined today by Melissa Purnell from the Follow Your Fire podcast. Hello! Hello, Emily. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Tell us a bit about who who are you? You're a life coach. What's what? What? Yeah, That's insane. What that? that means I stand on the sidelines of your life and I just go, rah! rah, rah. <laughs> Do it! Go! Keep moving! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love to kind of dance around the sort of stereotypes around life coaching, but Yeah. So I am a coach. I really just help people to kind of meet their best self and be who would they, who they would like to be, but for whatever reason, feel blocked in becoming, which can be an entire conversation in and of itself. But Mm -hmm. it's really cool and really fulfilling because I feel like my work is to help people who should be talking and sharing and creating and starting businesses and falling in love and all of these things that we convince ourselves like, oh, like, I guess that's for other people. Like, no, that's for you too. So so that's what I do. And, and I started I a podcast actually around this idea, the question of what should I do with my life? Because, and that's like a huge question, right? Mm-hmm. That's not something that you're like, huh, maybe I'll, you know, it's, it can be very heavy and overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that because I was someone who was stuck for years with this weight of what should I choose? You know, like what job should I choose? Should I get married and have kids? Should I travel the world, you know, making bracelets and selling pies with dreadlocks. Like I, I had, I had what could be a real privilege, right? Like I had choices, what a gift mm-hmm. and what an overwhelming, crippling, paralyzing, oh my gosh, I don't know what to choose. So I'm just going to sit yeah. here and not do anything and become a drug addict, which is totally what I decided to do. <laughs> so I'm trying to save people that path. And it's really just a series of interviews of me talking to people who are doing either really interesting things or just really interesting people doing very like what could be considered ordinary things with their lives. But the whole point is kind of recognizing that uh, we can find meaning and purpose, whatever it is that we do, Mm -hmm. if we allow ourselves to choose and just like start down a path. So I just kind of ask them like, you know, how'd you figure out what to do? What obstacles did you face? Mm -hmm. What, What advice would you give someone on the same path? And it's really cool because it as I'm really sure, cool. right, just like sitting and talking to people in these, um, we have excuses to kind of deep dive with people about really yeah. interesting topics. I, it's really, I've, I've listened to a couple and it is, it's so, it's, it's interesting and it's, it's empowering and it's like inspiring. Like you listen to these people's journeys and their choices and the way they dealt with things. And what's wonderful is that they've always come from a place of like, you know, they've built themselves up and they've made these choices. They haven't just had the perfect streamlined journey. And that's, that's so inspirational. It's so, it's so good. It's so Aww. good. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Cause Absolutely. I also 
think it's super fun. And really <laughs> the ways that we figure out how to enjoy this thing called life can be so varied and different. And one of them is totally movies like mm -hmm. and art and reading. And, and so I, I love that we get to deep dive right now. Yay. I'm very excited because your chosen movie, 1995's Now and Then. The IMDb breakdown is four 12-year-old girls grow up together during an eventful small town summer in 1970. What is your relationship with this movie? Ooh. Oh, I love that question, Emily. Mm. <laughs> it is a very intimate relationship. Like, <laughs> when you read about, if you decide to read about this movie, which I did, you see that the, the usual girls and women that love it really love it. And yeah. it was just so paramount when I, I think it came out in 95, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I was 11 and I was just on the cusp of womanhood. Mm -hmm. And I think that this movie was sort of like this guidebook for me of what possibilities might lie out there and in some ways it was really ahead of its time because I know we'll get into kind of the plot but you see these four girls that become women and do very different things with their lives and speaking of you know what should I do with my life it was sort of this almost caricature of these four options and yeah it was I guess you could call it like a friend to mine when yeah. I was young and just wanted reassurance yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've I've never seen this movie. I'd never heard of this movie at all. Wasn't on my radar. You, um, I think you first pitched it to me as like Stand By Me for girls. <laughs> Instantly I was like, yep, that one, I'll do that. Yep, that one, please, thank you. And um, <laughs> then I looked at the cast. Uh, you've got obviously the four young girls and then the four older women. The cast is Freaking incredible. You go from Christina Ricci to Demi Moore to Thora Birch to Rosie O'Donnell. Like, it's insane. And, uh, I mean, just from, like, the synopsis and what you told me about it, I was like, yeah, this movie's going to be so up my street. It's, like, practically in my bedroom. And <laughs> it was. Like, it was, uh, it was like a, like a big old comfortable, but, like, authoritative hug it, do you know what I mean it was like I I wish I'm gutted I didn't have this when I was 11 mm. I'm gutted that I've had to come to it as I'm pushing 30 because I was like this would have solved so many problems <laughs> that I had as a teenager oh my gosh well I'm I'm such a huge believer in like we we find things exactly when we should mm. and also to your point, I didn't realize this, but as I learned more about the movie, it's been really hard to find and almost kind of, yes. it's almost shameful how it is really easy. I know that uh, we touched on this a little bit privately, but that Stand By Me is a phenomenal movie. A lot of us love it. And part of why we're able to love it is that it replays on TV. So it's accessible. accessible. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And if this was not... This was it, impossible to find. Like, impossible. It took me like two days of searching to like find it and then if you want to buy it on dvd it's like 21 pounds in the uk to buy it on oh, dvd no. i was like what and it must be because they like have like two copies in the warehouse so they're like pushing the price up and and you're right it's so unfair when you can get stand by me you can rent it off youtube you can buy it on amazon prime you can get it yeah. off amazon you can like it's everywhere it's even being reshown in cinemas a lot of the time it's so accessible and yes it's wonderful but so is this and this is same vibe i love those like um coming of age 
like all of a sudden nothing really happens but like so much happens just like meandering journeys through small towns with these just character studies of these people and god it was sad it was a mystery it was funny it was like yeah i've got, I've got so much to say about this movie and i'm so annoyed that like as you say it's invisible like yeah, i've never yeah. even heard of it and then i couldn't find it and i was just like why do you not want me to watch this movie like it's so annoying yeah yeah I know. Yeah. I, and it's funny because I almost messaged you and said, Hey, maybe I should choose a different movie because I, it came to Netflix, at least here in the, in the United States for about six months. And that's all last year. And I thought it was still there and it wasn't. And, and then, you know, that, and that's present day, but it's so interesting how accessibility works because we're also talking about, you know, it's 20, 25 years old now. Mm -hmm. And in that time, you know, not having it, Yeah, there's so much interesting about the way that this movie was received, promoted, and I I guess I do feel lucky that I was somehow like 11 years old and just like bug-eyed and felt like, oh, I have to watch this. I still remember when I I didn't get to see it in theaters because I was a kid, and you know, when we're kids, we're very much at the mercy of our parents. Yeah, it was great, but she didn't make this like a day at the movies. So I remember we went to Blockbuster. Did you guys have Blockbuster yeah. ever in the UK? Mm-hmm. It was like the best Friday night when we went to Blockbuster and I got to rent this. And I remember just like, I, I'm not um, always a huge fan of movies. Like I love this one, but I wasn't a kid that was just like, oh, I, you know, this is how I like to spend my time. I love yeah. reading. But specifically this movie, I remember feeling this anticipation and it was like, I knew this was going to be important to me, which I think also kind of shows that we get what we expect. I think I was ready to really relate. I was at the right age. I knew that this was like my favorite actresses. And also Mm -hmm. speaking of the cast, like Christina Ricci was just for one, to use one of them as an example, she was like the it girl of the nineties for a lot of us. Yeah. I know that you're a little bit younger than me, but she was in Casper. She was in this movie. There's a bunch of other things that she did that. Adam's family. Oh my gosh, yeah, Adam's family, Mermaid, she was little in that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think part of it was just like, oh, that's my girl. I'm going to love this. But yeah, well, I'm glad that you found it. I'm glad that you fabulous. Yeah, Yeah. I was so happy because I love, I love Thora Birch. Um, She's an insanely good actress. And then Christina Ricci, I forget, I always forget because she's, she's so wonderful in Mermaids. And as you say, she's like six, seven in Mermaids. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of just attribute uh, her to Wednesday Adams, which is very sort of monotone, but still very good performance. You could just like, the monotone can override you sometimes. And then I was <laughs> watching her in this and I was just like, she's so good. And she's like 11. And you compare her to like all the other child stars that you watched when they were 11, like the entire cast of the Harry Potter movies and how awful they are. No offense guys, but like you were <laughs> terrible. And she's acting her little socks off and she's so natural in front of the camera. And it's a real testament to this movie to see so many of those incredible standout child actors just being brilliant. Um, And obviously the majority of the movie focuses on, it's sort of structured within this frame of you open with them as adults and you close with them as adults. And then the main format of the movie is them, that summer that they shared, that last summer in 1970. Um, and it's funny cause I would have, I would have watched a, a now and then part two where 
they do like an it where they then have the story with the adults extended i wanted more of these characters like um it, it was a perfectly paced and well-timed movie but i just yeah you get sort of 10 minutes at the beginning and 10 minutes at the end with the adults and i, I just wanted more oh i see so you, you i thought you meant for a second that you'd actually want to see like an updated now and then but you mean like ah. you more of their lives and how they yeah. lived in the present day mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah. completely i think that that I think whenever too, when I when I really love a movie, I could always be like more. Yeah, yeah, more. definitely. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so I don't know. This was something I noticed because uh, so Christina Ricci plays Roberta, and she's played in the future by Rosie O'Donnell, and everything about this character and who she was played with in the played by in the future, I was like, she's she's going to be the the gay representative she's going to be the lgbtq plus character and she's not and because they edited it out they she was meant to be and then they edited it out and like i i don't think it's a massive problem because when you're watching it you're still very much like i she's know this character is a lesbian yeah. <laughs> like she is yeah. a lesbian regardless of whether you're going to tell me or not um but I think that's one thing that I was like, oh, that's a shame that they felt they had to do that, that they had to take out the explicit reveal of that. Um, yeah, I thought that was a shame. That's the only thing I can say about this movie, really, that has a sort of negative yeah. to it. I didn't know how you felt about it, if you knew you know, or was where. I wasn't until I did a little deep dive for our interview. And I could have told you as a kid, and I had, you know, one of my primary caretakers was a gay woman like I was very familiar with and and open to this alternative and and back then in the 90s still somewhat um I'm not going to speak to like say that today everyone feels far more comfortable and that there's no diverse not no diversity no discrimination because there totally is yeah I think that they definitely what's interesting too that I read is not just that they left it out as like explicitly saying like oh Roberta is a lesbian they probably weren't going to say anything, but test audiences didn't seem to like that she was gay or it was alluded to that she was probably gay. Mm -hmm. And so they put in that line where there's a part where someone's talking about her and says, Roberta lives in sin with her boyfriend. And so that was specifically added to make sure we didn't think what all of us already knew, like you said, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. what we know of the... What, so it is a little bit disappointing and also I guess I'm trying to say I think a product of its time because mm -hmm. as as inclusive as I guess my world was you know in Northern California and what I was seeing as a kid still the greater you know United States climate still has a long way to go but especially yeah. in 1995 mm -hmm. it, and it's isn't that interesting that test audiences can have such a profound effect on a movie yeah and I mean, obviously, it's such a weird thing to have an issue with, but I get it, as you say, like, it was a, it was a different world back then, and, well, not so different, but, like, yeah, they had more power to... I don't think if test audiences came back with that opinion today, they would have followed through with it, because they would have just been like, no, we're not going to be seen as being homophobic in any way as a company. But, um, yeah, to be able to exclude an entire plot line and subpart of a character because they were like, I don't like it, it's too homosexual. It's like, okay, <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I can 
totally picture that like Karen in the audience. Like, <laughs> I, I have a question or a comment. <laughs> and we're like, okay, Karen, you're going to have to go back to 1950. Okay? Yeah, because yeah. This is how it is. And, and really that is like when I was reading about some of the criticism, like it is such a close movie to my heart and also could have been diver- more diverse, but mm. kind of on that same plane, you know how we were talking about how it was inaccessible and how we couldn't really find the movie here in 2020, but back then when it was released, you probably saw it was widely panned. Like apparently, I had no idea as a wide-eyed 11-year-old, but <laughs> apparently the critics were not a fan. It got like, I, I guess Rotten Tomatoes, you probably know this, Yeah, it was like retrospective or retroactive uh, reviews where they'll kind of take a cumulative look at what reviewers said back when the movie was released like I said, you might know more about this than I do. And then I'm guessing, do they also take like a present day look at it and give it a rating? That's a good point. I'm not sure if uh, it's able to say, I know that it's usually split between critics and audiences, um, but I don't know on the time scale of that. That's a good point. I would like to think that they keep it updated. So I guess, well, with now and then it got like a terrible rating from Rotten Tomatoes, 28% or something like that. But even just back in the day that it was released, it was widely panned. But I found this really fascinating study and it was in 2017. I don't remember what it was called, but I'm happy to send it to you if you wanted to reference it. Mm. And it was just about the, and this was 2017. So this is like, I'm bad at math. What is that? 17 plus five is 22 years later after now and then's released. And in 2017, 78% of critics are white males. And then it breaks it down even further. And it's not just, um, so it's not just male, but it's white male. So there's too few female reviewers, too few, too, well, this is a tongue twister, <laughs> too few women of color reviewers. And mm-hmm. even let's say that there's like a specific amount of these people doing reviews, the white males are doing more than the, the women of color. So I'm bringing that up to say, um, we, I did read like there's a little bit of like a diversity issue in the movie, which completely appreciate. You know, I am a white person. I was able to look at these girls and think, oh, I can relate to them. I can imagine being in their shoes. And, and also, I think part of why it was panned is that it was reviewed by a bunch of like, I want to say old white guys. I don't know how old they were, but it's like, yeah, it's but it's going to be, isn't it? It's going to be those old white guys who, like, for all intents and purposes, this movie isn't for you. Like, and it should be in the same way that The New Little Women is for everyone and you should all go and watch it and gain something from it. But fundamentally, I can understand more if you are an old white man, you probably don't want to go watch Little Women because it's not for you. But that doesn't mean you can just shit on it because you didn't enjoy it. You have to look at it from an artistic point of view. And this movie about 11-year-olds coming of age at the end of a summer at the beginning of a new decade, it's not fucking for you. It's for the 11 year olds (laughs) that are going through their first bra and their first kiss and like how they spent their summer together as friends and like drinking Coke floats in the cafe while they save for a tree house. Like fuck off, go watch Stand By Me (laughs) and like leave it alone. Yeah, right? I, I like this. I'm going to write this on a poster board <laughs> and carry it at my next rally. <laughs> but it's frustrating. I think, I think it's so frustrating. And too, if we're going to go here because we're going here, I think it's so interesting that like we as women, as little girls, especially back in the 90s and still today, are expected to relate to stories about men. 
I mean, really like back then, there were not many coming of age stories about women. And, and we are expected to relate to, you know, um, Stand By Me, which once again, I love the Goonies, the Sandlot, all of these yeah. classic adventure stories about boys that I was like this really, I was totally a Roberta, like tomboy. I want to mm -hmm. kick ass. I want to take names. And, and here's, here's a story for me. And yeah, of course it doesn't, a, necessarily appeal to the predominant group that's doing the reviews, but B, actually a friend of mine pointed out when we were kids, once again, back in the 90s, if we would be watching TV, and I remember that she noticed this, if we would be watching TV, and let's say there was a commercial for like a board game, and then you usually would see at the end of the commercial, some kid would be like, I win, like hungry, hungry hippos, I win, or whatever it is that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Always the boy that yeah. said I win because if a girl had not, maybe I'm saying this backward. It was girls could see a boy win and think, oh, I want to play that. Yeah. But if a little boy saw a girl win, society told him, oh, that game's for girls. Yeah. I can't play that. Right. You see it in everywhere. They claim that the introduction of She-Ra led to the downfall of He-Man. Like, despite everything else that was going on in that time, they want to blame that. They want to blame the introduction of, they want to blame the introduction of the female Ninja Turtle to the downfall of the Ninja Turtles before it was risen again without the female. They constantly want to blame women for the downfall of everything. You're absolutely right. Um, I have a, uh, we have a person <laughs> here in England, you may not have heard of her. She's called Scarlett Curtis, and she's the daughter of Richard Curtis, who's the director of Four Weddings at a Funeral, Nothing Hill, um, she's movies. brilliant. She's an activist, feminist, author. She's wonderful. <laughs> and she recently wrote this poem on Instagram. It just reminded me of it. Um, it's called My Brothers Have Not Read Little Women. We sailed to Treasure Island, became Lord of the Flies. We saw ourselves in Holden Sea, damaged, sad and wise. We gave our time to Oliver, our hearts to Spider-Man, followed Charlie to the factory, took flight with Peter Pan. Your words are universal. Your characters are true. Your stories transcend gender but women write books too. Mm. How freaking good is that? That just gave me chills. Right? But it sums up everything that we've just been talking about and the problem with our society where the standard and the foundation is male and everything else suffers if it's not, if it's a deviant from that standard or it has to try harder or it has to fight harder and it has to justify itself more and it's exhausting. <laughs> It's so exhausting to have to compete consistently with this norm and this status quo that I don't even fucking know why it's there. Cause like you come from our vaginas. So like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Wait, Surely. Emily, Emily, can this be the title of our podcast? <laughs> you come from our vaginas, the story of now and then. <laughs> in 300 where she's like oh women aren't important and she's like spartan men come from spartan we bear the spartan men we're so important in this society because we provide it with its soldiers and whatever oh my gosh and yeah no one ever thinks of that and it's like ah <laughs> fundamentally totally. without us you wouldn't exist because you don't <laughs> have that skill Preach, sister. <laughs> <laughs> so annoying. And, and that's, I think we're also kind of talking about, I love the term, it's the water that we swim in. Because you picture a fish swimming in water and the fish doesn't know it's in water. It's just, this is where I live. This is how I breathe. You know, it's just, I'm a fish. And 
So when, you know, here in 2020, which I love that we get to say our year like that now, (laughs) and we've gone through all of these different kind of incarnations of feminism or women's rights or, you know, a more diverse, inclusive, and I'm putting up air quotes, quote unquote, culture, especially here in America. And there is so fucking far to go because we started in such murky, like white, privileged, able-bodied, cisgender. I'm, I'm trying to think of all the things that like our society specifically is built yeah. on. Mm-hmm. That, and I know we're kind of going on a tangent, but it's so interesting because this really colors, you know, our adolescence as, as people, but mm-hmm. from, you know, I'm a girl, uh, identify as female. I, and, and it really covered colors everything that we think we can do every way that we think we can relate. And so I guess, I think it's really cool that we're talking about this because ultimately we view things from the water we've swam in, swum in our yeah. entire lives. And it's, uh, especially here in America, a very patriarchal, uh, white male dominated and mm-hmm. and so when i i had a good friend not too long ago say something like it's tough to be a white guy right now blah 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 and and i it's like i know this man i love him i know like his heart and also i was just infuriated because it's mm-hmm. like okay you know what you got to i i love that poem you just read you got to explore with peter pan followed charlie to the factory you got to and these are like kind of fun, lighthearted examples, but it's like all of our examples as when we see women doing cool things, like, Mm -hmm. like in this movie, if we haven't talked about it, these women have these four very different vocations. One of them is like a wife and mother. Mm -hmm. One of them is an OBGYN. Roberta is a doctor. Um, Another is an actress, Melanie Griffith or Teeny's character becomes this like big Oscar winning Hollywood actress. And then um, Demi Moore is a writer, kind of like an emotional, uh, intellectual, like tortured writer. Mm-hmm. But we get to see these four different outcomes. And this is like, like that's four different possibilities, but yeah. that's huge when yeah. you're, you're living in a society like, and once again, like I know I'm privileged, but mm. we got a long way to go. So I love that we're kind of on the soapbox, Emily. I'm so happy 100%. to kind of get to like- Let's stay here forever. Cause also they did it, they did it without men. Men very much take a backseat in this movie. Like there's very few important male characters that shape and define them particularly, I would say. Like I'm annoyed with myself. I've just had to check in with myself and be like, yo, why did you announce Scarlett Curtis as the daughter of a man? Like, do you know what I mean? That was my go-to. I was like, in order for people to know who she is, I will have to refer to her father and where she's come from. It's like, no, let, let her stand on her own two feet for her own reasons. I'm so annoyed with myself, so I apologize to Scarlett Curtis. You're not just the daughter of Richard Curtis, you're Scarlett Curtis. And that's the kind of traps that we get into because it's so embedded in us. And in this movie, you, eat like, yes, you have the sort of boys of the town that they hang out with, you have the father that leaves, and you have her husband later on, who is a kid from the town. But really, they're managing, they may sort of kickstart things, but the women take those things forward alone. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So like, her dad leaves and it affects her entire summer, but we're seeing her deal with it not it's and he never comes back and he's never there like taking her through it and guiding her through it and she doesn't have a sad 
conversation with him at the end about he's going to tell her that it's going to be okay. She just deals with it Mm. for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I think that and once again, because it's, it was such a usual plot line to have, it's funny, I was watching The Little Mermaid and I, I love that movie. I love the soundtrack. My baby loves it. And I also imagine when she gets old enough to watch it with me that uh, like, I know we're talking about a different movie, but like in <laughs> The Little Mermaid, she literally gives up everything to be with this guy. Like there's a line from Ursula that's like, but you'll have your man when she realizes all <laughs> yeah. that she's missing. And so much is, is sorted around that for, mm-hmm. for women, especially back then. So yeah. Um, do you know that Bechdel test? Do you know what the Bechdel yeah, test is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I honestly can't recite exactly what it is, but I know it involves two women speaking to each other, not about a man yeah. for a certain percentage of the movie. And I think they have to be named characters, two named female characters that talk to each other for a certain amount of time about something other than a man. It should be the simplest test in the world to pass. And yet, huge, huge movies. And what's interesting is often movies that have a female protagonist will fail it because what people forget when they're looking at things like The Hunger Games, you're like, oh, but like a woman is the main character. So like, what do you want from me? Like, you've already won. The woman is the main character. (laughs) Name like another fucking woman in that movie. Like there are them but name them to me. Like you can't. And how Mm. often do they talk to each other? And how often do they talk to each other about things that are not her love interest or her mentor or her father? Or do you know what I mean? Like the conversations are constantly dominated by the men in her life, Mm. even when talking to the very few other women in the movie. And actually Hunger Games is very good for female representation. It's got some brilliant female characters in it. Um, Still doesn't pass the Beckler test. Yeah, no, that's so fascinating. And it's a great, it's a great example of how what we think is representation might not be. Mm-hmm. And, and also going back to like inclusivity, it's really hard for like, if I was to try, this is not like a broad stroke, but if I were to try to write a story about say a black disabled uh, we, you know, man, Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to go with like this particular group of minority, like that isn't where I come from. So I think it's a really important story. And I know this isn't to say authors have to have lived who, what they write about because mm. it's not true at all. But when it comes down to it, if a lot of the people controlling Hollywood, whether it's the script writers or the producers, or even the fact that this narrative about Roberta being a lesbian, it's like, who decided, who was the deciding factor? Because audiences cannot like something mm-hmm. but we can still we as like the the movie production team can leave it in mm-hmm. but I hope I'm sticking to my original point which is basically this is why representation in every arena matters because yes. it's like if there isn't someone in the room in the actual driver's seat writing the script advocating for the storyline realizing that you know women don't just talk about men or they shouldn't <laughs> Yeah. Like, of course it's going to fail the Bechdel test, right? Mm-hmm. I completely agree. This is a massive problem that I have that I talk about every day of my life where I'm just like, I am not going to, as you say, go out and write a story about a black, gay, trans person because that's not my narrative. And I have no right, really, to tell that story because I know nothing about it. Um, and I can if I want to, but I, I, I believe that I perhaps shouldn't because like, let that person tell their own story. And that's the thing. It's like, it's 
like what um, Salma Hayek says in Dogma. She's like, why does the Bible come across so misogynistic? Because the pen writers were men. The people holding the pens were men. So they made, oh, who wants to head of the John of the Baptist? A woman who's the cause of original sin. A fucking woman. <laughs> the writers were men. And so you're right. The, like, and I don't know how to fix it, but other than to just be like, go and write your story if you can't mm. see it on screen go and write it and that seems like a pressure to put on people like you know i'd be sitting there like well why can't you just give me my stories so i can take them as easily as my peers can for their stories mm. but at the end of the day like go and tell your narrative and fight for it and write your story and get it made and get it produced and get it out there and get the different stories out there because when they do come out there, they're so fucking good because they're fresh, they're refreshing and exciting and good. Like, like Jesus Christ, like everything that um, Jordan Peele is doing and like all of these different mm. stories that are coming out that I, I never saw anything like that in the cinema when I was a teenager, nothing. Yeah. And it's, perfect gems of movies and stories and narratives and it's like we need to give a much bigger space in let's say Hollywood like they should almost start forcibly chopping it up into sections and being like right only 20% of movies that come out next year are allowed to have a male protagonist mm. and then it forces when you restrict things it forces things to be better because it forces you to have to keep going back and thinking and choosing what's right because you only get 20%. So you yeah. better make sure that that 20% is fucking good if you want to make your money because you're mm -hmm. going to be competing with other stories that haven't been seen yet or heard. And yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's very frustrating. <laughs> no, it's, it's such a fascinating... Do you remember a couple of years ago at the Oscars, I think it was Frances McDormand, and all she said when she accepted was like, inclusivity writer. And, and now everyone was like, what does that mean? And it's like, oh, that means that I'm going to demand every set that I'm a part of is inclusive and diverse. And, and I wish I could say I followed up and seen what exactly that has meant change-wise in Hollywood and in general. But it makes sense that, and, and you know, as we have these conversations, I can hear the men and not all the men in my life, thank God, but some of them that I'll be over a dinner table with, this is not my hobby. I just feel like I have to say this <laughs> because... We, we will go head to head because once again, this is the water that we swim in. So he doesn't always realize, and I don't always realize when mm -hmm. I'm being, you know, unaware. The reason diversity is so important, right? Whether it's um, racial diversity, uh, sexual diversity, diversity, gender, sex, all of it is that because we've lived in this patriarchal privileged society for so long that these groups have had advantages of education, of background, of of praise, of encouragement. And by that, I mean, that's why it's not as simple as to say like, oh, you know, like I agree. We want to just be like, oh, just write the stories. And it would be easy for the person who's like maybe paying for those stories to be written to be like, oh, well, you know, she's not as equipped because look, she only has <laughs> community college or I'm using a really weird example. Mm -hmm. But I guess I'm trying to say that it's like, we need time to catch up. We as anyone who's ever not been represented as they should or supported as they should in um like we're and and i think i'm i'm definitely overstepping like once again like as a white person in america like i have a lot of privilege and also i'm aware that because of that like i have had opportunities and advantages and um 
I'm a fucking woman. And that means that because of that, I haven't had some opportunities and it hasn't been as evident because I don't know. So I hope I'm making sense, but no, this inclusivity idea, it, it almost like needs to be, there's this really great graphic where we're talking about equality versus equity. And mm-hmm. I'm going to fuck it up when I'm trying to describe it, but it's basically saying like, you're supposed to give special consideration to people who have been disadvantaged. It's not supposed to be equal. They need advantage for a while yeah. in order to catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes complete sense. I think that's, yeah, that's what I think that's what I was trying to explain as well. We're completely on the same page that you're right. You need to give them the opportunity in the space for their stories to be told and to get to a a standard, like you could see it in the Oscars this year. It's like, well, we don't want to give Greta Gerwig an Oscar nom for Little Women because we don't think she deserves it. And it's like, I get it. I get that you don't want to just like nominate a woman so you tick that box, but hey, fucking, you did it for all the other fucking categories, didn't you? So like, why not just do it for this one? You know, like at least put her up there, even if it is just for lip service. Like, obviously that's not an ideal world, but I'd have been a lot less pissed off if you just fucking nominated Greg Gerwig, like, what is the problem? It was a good movie. I I genuinely believe it deserved an Oscar nom. Like, Ladybird did. So why? Oh my gosh, yeah. Why? What? Where's the maths? Show me the maths. Which, like, by the I'm way, so sick. I, I also think if you've already won, like, three Oscars or been nominated, like, three times, you should fuck off out of that category. <laughs> Which would wipe out you literally all of off. those directors. Uh-huh. Like, go and have your own special ceremony where we all know you're good and we all know you're going to get the funding for your little passion projects that you want to make. But yeah. Have the buzz. And then my mum sat there like, oh, yeah, I think I want to watch The Irishman. Do you, mum? You ever watched a Scorsese movie before? No. You ever been interested in watching a Scorsese movie before? No. Well, then why do you want to watch The Irishman? Well, I've heard it's good. Yeah. Mm. I think it's going to be, though, for you, do you do you actually want to watch this movie or have you just been convinced to because of the hype? Do you know what I mean? Totally. I so totally. many thoughts on all of the movies that came out for award season. Wow. Yeah. I, I've never been less informed because I had a baby last year. So I only saw one <laughs> Oscar movie, but I still completely stand on this. I stand on this soapbox with you. And Speaking of Lady Bird, it was, um, you know, Greta Gerwig is from my town. She went to high school, like a couple miles away. A lot of us were real, and it was filmed here. It was like a, a love letter to Sacramento. So a lot of us were very enamored and invested. And I bring her up because actually when I was reading about now and then they were talking, this article was talking about how Lady Bird and that film eighth grade. I don't know if you saw that, but Mm -hmm. it was another just like, I I love that one. But some of these coming of age films that now are being received far differently and still not the way that they should. Like she should have been fucking nominated for Lady Bird way back then. All of us were like, what the, what the hell? But basically saying that now and then was a precursor or like a, like an ancestor to Mm -hmm. movies like this being more accepted, more, Re- just positively received yeah so it, it kind of displays like both you know the almost the importance and impact even of a movie that a lot of people are going to be like wait what like my hubby had never heard of now and then he's a guy he grew up in the exact same years as I did but speaking of your mom who was like oh I think I should watch the Irishman we listen to the critics we listen to you know the tv the late night tv show hosts I'm trying to think of back then who all of that influencers were yeah but it's like we're all kind of being told what art to consume so 
Yeah. It's so annoying. My sister made an excellent point because she watched Ladybird the other night. And I was like, so why do you think that one was nominated and not Little Women? And she was like, because Ladybird came out in the year where women were allowed to do stuff again. And now they're not. Because it was mm. that year where it was like just post Me Too. And they were like, it's the year of the woman. Oh, women are doing stuff. Everything's the new flea bag. Nominate the people. And now they're like, hush, you had your year. What do you want from yeah. us? Can you get back in your place, Go please? Go back to the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go get pregnant. Yeah. But yeah. That, is such, and that is such a great way to put it. And I remember when Lady Bird... Like I said, I was in Sacramento. So I was like, is it as big of a deal as it feels like? Because we're all freaking out since it's our town. And it was. It was like this perfect moment in femaleness, I guess you could say, that a story as earlier you were saying, hey, you love those stories that are kind of about nothing, but they're very profound. Mm -hmm. And that's so Ladybird. And it was just like this perfect storm of Me Too and and, and anyway, so I completely agree, sadly, Mm -hmm. with your sister. Yeah. That it was that allowed was- to happen then, and now it's yeah. like, shush, 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 stop. Nope. Yeah, nope. we're not going to nominate you just just because. Because <laughs> you're a woman, because that would actually be worse, wouldn't it, everyone? Wouldn't that just be worse if we just nominated her because she's a woman? Wouldn't you <laughs> hate it? Oh, whoa. we're better than that. We have, like, standard, like, fuck off, Academy. Yeah. Like, actually, fuck off. Like, thank God that Harriet Tubman movie came out. So they, I bet, literally, I bet they were all there like, that's bound <laughs> to be a good performance. We can just nominate her and I'll take that box. They can't come for us now. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, fuck off. Like, ah! And Parasite as well. They were probably like, oh, yes, a quick, quick get Korean cinema in here in a big way. Like, it ain't never been in before. But... Don't nominate another fucking actor. Don't do that. Just like, just get him in because he's done a lot of Western movies anyway. So it's fine. It's fine. He's on film four a lot. Yeah, get him in under the radar. I can't hashtag us now. That's Ooh. what it felt like. Do you know what I mean? And that's obviously Parasite is one of the greatest movies ever made. Obviously, it deserved everything that came to it. Obviously, it did. Nineteen seventeen didn't. Oh, controversial. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'm so, I'm so, like I said, out of the loop. So I have not seen any of these. <laughs> I might have to do my own like Oscars breakdown episode where it's just me being like, here's what I thought of okay. these movies. <laughs> I was actually going to say, Emily, I feel like you need to do, well, you need to do an episode <laughs> where you're just playing the roles of like, here's the rich white guy in the corner. <laughs> here's the bitchy girl at the movie, re- the, the movie like trial that say, I don't think I like the lesbian one. <laughs> just playing all of these characters because I feel like this is totally your jam (laughs) it's you can take perspective and and sometimes it is helpful to imagine like uh uh ultimately just like how how these things actually happen who Mm. who the people kind of behind the um if we're gonna get into like conspiracy theories (laughs) it's a little bit let's just keep going (laughs) (laughs) the wizard of Oz style so you're good it's true it's so true it like it does feel like they just I mean the the thing to take from this fundamentally when we talk about this sort of thing is that like hey well you know you can keep watching these movies that mean a lot to you and you can keep promoting them through the use use of social media and finding your people I'm sure if you went onto a reddit thread and was like who remembers now and then you could probably even get it back into a cinema if you all pushed that hard with like social media and stuff you we do have the power in a way that we didn't before but it's just 
frustrating that there does seem like there's a whole bunch of people in Hollywood that are like, let's make sure we don't make any female movies this year. And then someone's like, hey, I have a woman movie. And they're like, give it a Tuesday release in like fucking February when no one's going to the fucking <laughs> cinema. And you're like, oh my God. And then it's like, hey, I've got Avatar 24. And they're like, stick it on all summer in every <laughs> cinema. Christmas day. <laughs> yeah, literally. And you're like, fuck you. Ah! Yeah. Like, again, it should be a rule where like, I'm very lucky where I come from. I, we've, got, we've got the cinema that's like big and only shows Avatar. Like you couldn't see doubt for, to save your life. Um, and it was just Avatar everywhere. Um, <laughs> But we have a little independent cinema that literally shows the like the Banksy documentary and it'll be showing Parasite and it's showing all of these like independent, foreign, like fun, good, decent movies that you can go and like have your cup of tea and watch in this like old corn exchange place. And like, I'm really lucky in that I'm able to access these movies through that. But a lot of Mm. people won't be able to. A lot of people won't even like I wonder how many people will go and see Parasite. Do you know what I mean? Even when it like won Best Picture at the Oscars, all of the newsreaders the following day were like, well, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I saw um, I saw Little Women, but I actually didn't go and see Parasite at all. No, it's got subtitles. Yeah, it's got subtitles, so I didn't go and see it. And it's like, brilliant, your opinion is really valid right now because mm. you didn't go and see the movie because you had to read. Oh, no. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Oh, ew. Reading. I can't. Ew, this means- is a movie. <laughs> Why you watch? Uh huh. Yeah. No. Totally. Also, too. I guess there's this maybe idea that there are there is a lot of art in our past, and I'm I'm fascinated with this. Um, I know I'm on a movie podcast, so from a movie perspective, but because I love to read from a from a writing perspective, from any kind of creativity or art or idea, there are so many things that we as a society either completely miss or were written by anonymous, and those were totally probably women, mm-hmm. or were maybe panned, right? Like now and then, or, you know, insert other movie here that was panned critically, but could really be valuable to the audiences that could still consume it. So I'm trying to think of how to like frame this in a proactive, like if anything, what I'm thinking is that we cannot trust to only consume art that people tell us to consume, which yeah. is such an obvious idea, but, but you know, go see that movie happens. that doesn't have good reviews or, yeah. or didn't have good reviews. Or that's why Emily, in a lot of ways, I think what you're doing is so cool because you are kind of bringing rejuvenating. I'm, I'm seeing someone like come back from the dead, hocus pocus yeah. style. This, yeah. This movie that has been lying dormant for years, but could potentially really affect, you know, a 10 or 11 year old right Mm now or a 30 year old. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. These, but these really are an opportunity for us to kind of see life from someone else's perspective and maybe imagine it for us. And yeah, and, and we shouldn't be cut off from that because of the predominantly old, rich, white deciders of what is what is justifiable to consume and what isn't. Yes. Yes. Raise the roof. <laughs> I'm just making lots of hand gestures, which isn't ever helpful on the podcast. But. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to narrate. She's been gesticulating. <laughs> I love it. But you're so right. I'm like, I'm so happy to literally like pluck these movies 
out from the 90s, the 80s, the 50s, and just bring them back. So as a opening to now and then, go and fucking watch it. Like, it's very hard to find, but dig around. Hopefully it'll come back to Netflix at some point. Um, and watch it because it's just gorgeous. Let's dive into it. I have lots of notes that's mainly just love hearts. Um, <laughs> heart, heart, heart. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, Thora Birch is a superstar I've got down here. Um, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Funny, she's, I mean, I was just talking about Hocus Pocus and yeah. she was in quite a few of my favorite 90s films. She's a great little actress. She really was. She still is. She's on The Walking Dead right now. Is she? Once yeah. again, totally out of the loop. So that is awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, Thora Birch herself is out of the loop all the time. I think she's had such an interesting career. Most people probably know her from American Beauty. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I loved her in Ghost World. I adore Ghost World. And she's in that with Scarlett Johansson. Um, and then she did Dungeons and Dragons, which was terrible, but wonderful. And then she <laughs> sort of went off the radar a bit. Um, but then she's come back in The Walking Dead and I'm just like, oh my God, I love you. And she's absolutely fucking crushing it. And I'm just like, yes, Thora. Yes, yes, queen. <laughs> that is awesome so it's it's set in this sort of uh I guess you would say like sleepy uh predominantly white sort of town in America um your classic coming of age tale setting and it's the 70s so it's but it feels a lot like the 60s because it's literally 1970 so both in style and aesthetic it, it feels quite 60s um which is really cute and we follow what are their names we follow teensy who's also named tina roberta samantha and chrissy chrissy throughout their summer of 1970 which was this kind of idyllic but also very transformative you sort of in the movie see them go from (laughs) to be completely cliche from girls to women. You where, do though. Like like right? physically and emotionally, you see yeah. that happen. Like even, I mean, we're talking about physically, there's a scene where Roberta, who is the tomboy and really into sports and has four brothers and raised by her dad, the first scene we really get to know her and she's taping her boobs down because she doesn't want to be, I don't know, sexualized. She doesn't flesh all this out, but it, you see this and and that once again that was me i could so relate to this like i don't yes. want i don't want boobs i don't want these things flopping around when i'm trying to run and tackle and do all the things that yes. this little like non-gender conforming girl loved to do so to see that was really cool and by the end of the movie you know now that i'm thinking about it though as we're talking about this um and i by the way i know that just because someone in adulthood is a lesbian doesn't mean that they don't go through the same like trial Mm. oh I'm gonna be into this boy or just like all of us I think have very fluid sexuality that's like a completely different different story (laughs) but by the end of the movie she is sort of into this guy stops taping her boobs and I think that is like probably the one storyline that is somewhat um male focused which is okay it's not like that we shouldn't acknowledge that that's part of adolescence is like Mm -hmm. discovering our sexuality and that we're 
attracted to people we thought we hated. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of us can relate to that around that age. That was a really important storyline too. Definitely. Um, they all have their sort of own little journeys, don't they? And I, I was the same as you. I really related to Roberta. I would say that I, um, te- I have like 10% of each of the character. Like I could see myself in all of them because, um, and it's not to say that these characters are two-dimensional or black and white they're not at all it's just that I have the like the paranoia and fear of Chrissy with the like boob taping of Roberta and the like (laughs) um I'm nowhere near as brave as Samantha but like um I was as dramatic as Teeny and like you know I mean it's really fun I was like oh my god I'm all of these women yay (laughs) (laughs) I love your California accent (laughs) Oh my God. I'm like, these women. (laughs) But that's true. They are all caricatures. So it makes sense that we're going to kind of hopefully relate a little bit to all of them. Yeah. And um, so Samantha, I would argue, is our sort of main character. She's Demi Moore when she grows up. Um, And she's the, I don't know this actor Gabby Hoffman I don't know her at all I haven't come across her she's baby Samantha and she her dad leaves the household so she's sort of going through this parents divorce um they this movie rides the line of heartfelt emotive moments and so funny and charming at the same time So when she sat at the dinner table and she has all of this inside of her, this worry that, and this isn't ever really sort of explicitly said, this is all just me projecting onto this character from what I'm getting from her, but you feel like she feels guilty that her parents are split up. She feels worried about her dad. She feels scared about the future. She, she hates her mom, but she loves her mom. And she, she's confused and she's worried and, then she's got the social pressure where divorce is not a thing in this like neighborhood and Hank Azaria is at the dinner table being Hank Azaria mm-hmm. and you're like crying for Samantha with her bottled up fury and upset and you are like dying at Hank Azaria like chucking wine all over his shirt and you're mm-hmm. like I was like, this is the perfect movie. Like, this is just, like, <laughs> all of the things. I'm feeling all of the things. Um, oh. And it's that. And each of them have those moments where, I, like, I thought one of them was going to fucking die at one point. <laughs> Even though I'd seen them all as adults, I was still like, oh, but maybe she, like, loses her hearing. Or, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I was like, she's dead. She ain't getting out of that. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. To- there's this part where Roberta fakes her death and you see her jump off of this oh, really high God. tree and they're like, where'd Roberta go? Where'd Roberta go? And then all of a sudden they spot her across the lake floating face down. And that part, I even wrote this in my notes. Like I always just was so convinced she had to be so good at holding her breath. Cause yeah. it's like, that is a very believable suicide or not, not suicide, but like death that she just played out. But I think you are describing it has these kind of equal tones of, really heavy along with the soundtrack. I really noticed the soundtrack Mm. when I watched it because obviously so much about a movie is kind of determined by the emotions elicited by the music. And there would be these really heavy parts. Like when she convinces her friend she's dead, Chrissy is the only one that's like jumps in to do CPR. And then she figures out she's alive. 
And, and Chrissy, the friend that was about to save her and convinced her friend was dead, was super pissed. And you, you're definitely in this really heavy, serious kind of sub-theme in this movie, which is like mortality. And I think mm -hmm. that with these girls coming of age, realizing who they are as women, I think that that is, this is totally can be argued, but I feel like death is a sub-theme of all of our coming of age, because I think the more awake we become as humans, usually the more cognizant we are that like we could die, people we know will die, maybe have died. So the sub subplot with Roberta, who lost her mom, by the way, that, and I don't know if I'm jumping yeah. around too much. No, no, it's perfect. But Roberta, um, the tomboy, part of her, you know, character is because she wasn't raised with the mom. Her mom died when she was little. And I have to say, I watched this movie growing up and I always thought that part was sad. And my mom's dead now. And I think watching it as an older woman, like, and I remember when my mom died, I was 29. And it was the most heartbreaking thing that's ever happened in my life, the hardest thing. And I remember thinking, gosh, I cannot imagine going through this younger. It made me think about friends I knew that had yeah. lost their parents young, like high school or even in, and it's a character in a movie, but like, this is a thing, losing. Yeah. And, and what a determine, I don't want to say determining factor because it doesn't have to be, but it shapes you. So I really kind of see that as like a pretty big plot line in this film as well. As someone that now knows that heartbreak, it's like, oh my gosh, of course she was kind of fucked up and wanted to fake her own death and wouldn't feel her feelings like yeah. she lost her mom. Like she doesn't know how to process that. She lost her mom at four and she's been battling on without her. And, and not only that, a, a big part of this movie is her discovering how her mom actually died. Because of course her dad, when she was four, just said like, oh, you know, your mom peacefully fell asleep and was carried away by angels. Why would she not believe that? She doesn't know what death is. She's four. And then when they're looking for something else, she stumbles across the fact that actually her mom died horribly, slowly, painfully in a car crash. And you're right. She sort of learns that, gets angry, bottles it all up. And then it's not until like 25 minutes later in a different scene that she lets it out. And oh my God, Christina Ricci, my heart, like her little performance where she's just like, I, God, she, finally processing what's happened. And all of these characters make sense. I'm really jumping around. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just remembering that performance. It's yeah. basically just has this monologue about how like death is horrible and it's unfair and lies are horrible and unfair. And this character that's been so strong, both, both physically and emotionally this whole time, suddenly just breaks. And God, yeah, like, I'm very lucky, touch wood, I have both my parents still, and uh, I've lost a lot of grandparents, so I, have, I do know what it feels like, but it, like, I li like, I can't, my brain won't even let me consider the possibility a lot of the time, because it's just like, no, we're not going there. It's too yeah, much, yeah. too much. And I think Way that you're, I don't think you're alone there, because even as someone that has lost what I considered like my closest, my person, the hardest thing, at that point to lose. Now I have a child, so I can't say that anymore. I still don't think as humans, <clears throat> my personal theory is we don't have the capacity to really know like that fear. Cause that's what it is. It's just the awareness mm -hmm. of how precious these people are. And so it, it does really. And, and, and part of, I think the awakening that these girls are going through this summer is like you just said it, that life is 
is really can be really fucked up and unfair because they're also on this quest to figure out they do this seance at the beginning and they're looking at a gravestone and they're like whose gravestone is this it's obviously a child oh dear johnny that's what the gravestone says so a lot of the movie is them on this quest to figure out what happened to dear johnny and and they figure it out in the scene that you're talking about with christina ricci and she's you know really processing the tragedy and sadness and heartbreak of finding out how horrifically her mother died, they also find out that dear Johnny and his mother were murdered very senselessly by what was probably someone trying to rob them. And so whether you've lost someone in life or not, I think we all, I know we all see that kind of stuff happen and the older we are and the more able to take perspective and think, A, that could be me and B, why was it them? And C, why is life like this? Yeah. I think that we can all really, relate to that sadness and and really this is so tantamount to what I do as a coach because I feel like what I try to do is is be with people in like life is fucked up and unfair and I don't know why either and sad and hard and like I could go down the list of like terrible and also it's really beautiful and we have these you know in the movie incredible friendships and a, ability to support each other and possibility to like giggle about like food and Hank's teeth and you know punch boys because they're saying girls can't can't play softball and like I'm I'm kind of like picking some kind of lighter moments but it's like I feel like it sort of displays to give now and then a lot of credit which I love it it's such a paradox of heaviness and sadness and tragedy of life yeah just like lighthearted, fun music bike riding idyllic beautiful parts of life just like mishmash mishmash it's so perfect I think yeah you're absolutely right you've put the nail on the head a really uh moment that highlights that is that they're cycling down the road and they've got their radio playing like some funky 60s jam and they come across Brendan Fraser who's like been sent home from like what Vietnam and like he sits with them and smokes for a bit and they're just like la 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 how's Vietnam was it good are we winning (laughs) and he's just like yeah the government's lying to you and we're all dying out there Mm, and they're like winning oh okay (laughs) we gotta go home now bye (laughs) whoa and like what's interesting is that the whole movie sort of narrated by Demi Moore looking back on that summer. And I can't remember what she says at that moment, but I imagine it like, even if she doesn't say it, you know that she'd be looking back. Like in retrospect, I realize now what that meeting meant and what he was and represented and how sad and tragic and huge that was. But for us at the time, we were just sharing a cigarette with a handsome stranger and he is handsome. (laughs) Oh, young Brendan Fraser, how I love oh. you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I know. We should talk about Encino Man next. <laughs> oh, yes. Have you ever seen that? No, no, no. Okay, but I, I just forget. love him. He's, he's the main character in that. Yeah, he's a cutie. Oh, I love him. It's the mummy. He's like the 1999 mummy. Oh, yeah. yeah he's totally. like prime. Peak Brendan <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he plays this soldier that's just like injured and sad and just, but still like having a great time because he's like, hey, it's a bunch of 11 year olds, so let's have a cigarette together. Uh-huh. And, but like it brings in the outside. It's interesting because it, it brings the outside world into this sleepy little town for a bit. And you're suddenly aware that there's a much wider thing outside of this gravestone that's been split in half by lightning that they think they've resurrected someone from mm. the dead. 
which is so scary. Like so much of this movie, I was like, I am afraid. I'm like, they're using like horror tropes and I'm frightened. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Emily. (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) Okay. I want to ask you when you were a kid, I know you didn't see this movie when you were a kid, but when you were a young girl, did you do seances? Did you try and summon Bloody Mary? Did you do this kind of stuff? Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Still will not even entertain the idea of doing like a Ouija board or even saying Bloody Mary three times in front of a mirror. Like, no <laughs> way. Not tempting it. Doesn't mean I necessarily believe in it, but I believe in it enough that I'm not going to try it. Absolutely not. No way. No, 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 no. Okay, so does that mean you don't do scary movies on this podcast? I do though. I love horror movies. Isn't that weird? Mm, That is interesting. I love horror movies. I didn't when I was a kid. And this is the thing. If I had watched Now and Then when I was 11 and they were doing a seance in the graveyard, I honestly would have probably turned it off and then had to come back to it like five years later. Um, Mm. Because I, yeah, no, none of that. And then when I hit like 16, what I used to do, I always used to Wikipedia the plot lines of horrors. I wouldn't watch them. I couldn't have the visual (laughs) image, but I wanted desperately to know what happened in them. So uh-huh. I would read a lot about them and I'd read a lot of behind the scenes of them and stuff, but I would never actually watch them. And then, uh, like I hit 15, 16 and I started watching them and now I like, can't get enough of them. And I'm like, give me all of the horror movies right now. Um, <laughs> it's really <Yeah>. weird. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. And, and I guess, I mean, I can take perspective and imagine that part being scary. I was like, so into ghost stories. I kind of uh-huh. still am. I don't have the life I used to have, but I used to be like, really into going to haunted places, trying to, and I'm totally a skeptic, by the way. You're not talking to someone that's like, I'm sure that there's ghosts. But I was so into this part of the plot because it is, you know, they go to the graveyard twice in the movie. The first time to have the first seance, they think they summon the ghost of dear Johnny. The second time, and and I'm going to jump around a little bit. So they're convinced throughout the movie that they potentially brought dear Johnny back from the dead and that they're maybe being haunted. You kind of get that sense in a few of the scenes. And then we have the real life stuff happening that we've been talking about, like the heaviness, the dealing with the mother's death and divorce and all of that. And then at the end, they go to try and put dear Johnny to rest, right? Like they figured out what happened, that he was murdered. And, and this part kind of breaks my heart as an adult. Because what, what happens in the cemetery is that they, as they're trying to like chant and, you know, help his spirit to rest, they realize that it wasn't them that cracked his gravestone, which was the entire reason they thought he was back from the dead. It was someone who worked in the cemetery. He had bumped into it. They hadn't, I forgot what else happens in that part, but ultimately they just realized that they had sort of made this up, that he, he wasn't back from the dead. This wasn't a haunting. This was a very explainable, circumstantial, very real graveyard situation. And I actually wrote the line down at the very end because like I said, it kind of um, breaks my heart, but I think it's so powerful. And I think it's something like um, when you get older, it's not that you don't want to believe, but too much has happened that you, ha- that you can't. I literally wrote the same line down. I want that tattooed on my forehead. That broke my heart when they Mm. said that. Here it is. I knew at that moment our days of playing make-believe were over. As we grow older, it becomes difficult to just believe. It's not that we don't want to, but too much has happened that we can't. 
I secretly don't want you to get that tattooed because I feel like it's so sad, (laughs) but it it feels very, it feels very true. I think that it's like, even someone like myself, who I am admittedly a magical thinker, I love to believe in possibility and with, you know, friends on the other side, I like to think about connections with spirits and all of this very fantastical in some ways, not, you know, lack of evidence in others. And the more into evidence and being able to explain things and sort of on the ground we get as we grow older, the harder it is to, to believe, to mm-hmm. have seances, even though you never did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think part of what we can all relate to, if we've had a really close friend where you know everything about each other, you have cried in front of each other, which especially as adults, like that's a pretty intimate friendship. Oh yeah. And then maybe you're not close anymore. It's almost like a breakup when you see someone. I saw an ex of mine at the park. It was like a couple months back, but we just walked by each other. And I just like at the last second realized who it was and then kept walking. It was not a great relationship, but it's like that person has known so much of you, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship. And, and now it's kind of awkward. And now, you know, with mine, it's like, we didn't even say anything, which to me is kind of sad, but with friends, it can be so interesting to like, come back together and, and share this really incredible time and also not share anything at all publicly. Yeah. Yeah. I said publicly, but I meant presently. That didn't make any sense. (laughs) And also too, while we're on this subject, we live in such an interesting time where we have the possibility or the ability to keep everyone as in social media is so fucking weird in that sense that I actually, I, I had like this I told you I was a drug addict. So I'll just say I got sober in 2012. And at that point in my life, there was this hard and fast restart where all my friends kind of restarted too. So my social media has only been since then. And even in the last, what is it? So that's eight years. There's so many people on there that I've kind of just collected. And I say that in like a loving way, but we don't necessarily have anything in common anymore, but I might still see what they ate for breakfast. I might still actually be really interested too. There's some people digitally that I've become really close with that in real life, we were never that close. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I guess I was bringing this up because it's like, we saw this movie, it was based in, you know, 1995, where they didn't have this ability to be like, oh yeah, I saw that guy you were dating last year, or, um, you know, Demi Moore's character isn't like blogging about, about her most recent work. I guess it's just friendships, I think have definitely changed in the last 20 years in terms of how we can stay connected. So, I mean, I just think it's such a gift. I've already said, I think it's so cool what you're doing here because for one, we get to resuscitate. That was the the word I was looking for earlier. (laughs) I feel like you get to resuscitate these movies and possibly maybe get them into like multiple ears uh, that wouldn't have seen them. Mm -hmm. And also for someone like me that gets to dive into this movie, I've seen a million times, like, and, and kind of watch it for the first time, really paying attention to how do I feel and how do I relate to this and what would I you know, want to tell someone else about it. And I guess maybe now that we've had our entire conversation about inclusion and diversity and the water that we swim in and all of that, it would be to pay attention. You know, for me, I just so related to this film. I felt like as a kid, I saw possibility and that is pretty massive gift for anyone to feel like something is possible based on art, whether it's a book or a film or just someone that you see doing something out there in the world. Mm -hmm. So I felt that. And A, I think whoever's listening should check out this movie, but B, I would say, pay attention to what really gives you that feeling yourself. Even if it's not widely 
perceived as an artistic or beneficial or critically acclaimed or even box office successful film, if you relate to it, that is your fucking jam. Go with it. Because I think, I, I, th- I feel like a sub theme of our conversation is life is hard and complex yeah. and weird and also fucking beautiful and hilarious and mm-hmm. can be really lighthearted and um, a movie that, you know, you can find whoever you are, you know, eat that up. Cause the way I look at it, like I said, I, I'm a life coach. That's part of, and it's funny because I'm a very, in some ways, dark person. And when you think of a life coach, I think of like an SNL character that's like, rah, 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 you know, like <laughs> yeah. go you. And that is completely what I do, but in a very real sense. Like I think that all of us have within us possibility. Some of us are lucky enough to be able to see that displayed in front of us in the world we live in. Some of us didn't have great caregivers. Some of us didn't have, uh, you know, a media that represented what it should have and showed us what we could be and what we could do. And some of us too, I'm going to speak for myself, had the privilege of feeling like there were so many opportunities and so many possibilities that I, I just collapsed under the weight of it all. And didn't do anything because if I wasn't going to be something big and important and special, then what's the point? Mm -hmm. And I had to go on a real journey to come to find out that we are all ourselves so important and special just because we're us, as cheesy as that sounds. Yeah. And we can like inflict this meaning on what it is that we do or who it is we decide to be. And uh, yeah, so I I feel like um, I'm trying to kind of tie that into the art because we are all what we consume. I remember someone said mm-hmm. that to me, you are the media you consume. And I was like, yeah. Ooh, that, that really makes me think like, what am I listening to? What am I watching? What am I believing? So ultimately, I guess to get back to what I do, like I help people to identify who they want to be and see the possibility that they might not see. Because once you see it, it is evidence-based, like you can be it. That's not woo-woo or like rah-rah life. It's like a lot of us genuinely don't have any idea of our capability. And once we're given this really strong mirror and someone that's like, oh, I expect you to go after this thing that is completely possible for you. Um, it's incredible the stuff that we can do. So yeah, that's kind of my soapbox. And I'm just so grateful to be able to kind of postulate on these really, for me, like not paid attention to parts of my worldview, but Mm -hmm. they're so formative. So thank you so much for inviting me on and and watching this movie. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Not only did I get to watch an absolutely gorgeous movie, but you've just like sat here and blown my mind for like an hour. You're so articulate and you're so strong and you're so wise and like you're just so fun like thank you so much thank you so much for coming on it's been such a joy i'm just gonna i'm gonna bottle that thing you just said and like put it in my brain and then whenever i'm having a tough day i'm gonna be like (laughs) but emily said this really nice thing (laughs) thank you so much uh i so appreciate it and i'm such a huge fan this is such a cool thing that you're doing and um i'm just glad that you're doing it thank you i love it it's literally when I press record, I'm just like at peace. And you're kind of made for it. Like you have a real way, like, and I've listened to your other episodes as well, but you're, I just think you're great at pulling out the substance in both films and in people, because that takes, that takes some skill. So keep doing this, stick with this. Aww. <laughs> truly, truly. I think it's really special. And, 
And it's funny how something as surface seeming like, oh, we're going to talk about a movie is like, no, we're going to talk about life and how all of this stuff affects us Mm -hmm. and how we synthesize it and then go out and live in the world. And yeah, it's interesting, Emily, not too long ago, someone said that her podcast was about suicide and preventing it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a really heavy subject and so important. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at it and it was not about suicide. Like nowhere in the topic did it say suicide. It was all about basically ways to live life that would make us feel better, which is like a very generic way. Luckily, I'm not pitching her podcast. (laughs) But I was like, so in that way, this is real. This is a reach. But all of us that are doing things that mean a lot to us and we're trying to kind of put out there to the world to hopefully make people feel less alone or be entertained mm-hmm. or feel better. All of that relates to um, mental health, I guess, to make it yeah. really very important, right? Definitely. Definitely. Like uh, shared experiences and understanding. And I really tap into nostalgia, which is huge at the moment. And like, hopefully that makes people think of better times or reminds them of friendships or relationships that they can seek out and share these memories with and yeah like all of these things have little stepping stones to better places I like to think and maybe you just really enjoy fucking movies well thank you thank you so much for having me on this was super fun where can we find your podcast oh okay so my podcast is on iTunes it's on SoundCloud Spotify and it's called follow your fire life work and purpose you might need to put all those in the search. I hope it'll I just will. turn up with Follow Your Fire, but yeah, and it's really just a series of interviews of interesting people who I try to find the most interesting parts about. Like, I think it doesn't matter who, what your journey is. I think it's interesting if we can identify the things that we all share, like the shared human experience. Mm-hmm. And I just love to hear about insecurities and how people get past them. Partly yeah. because I'm self-centered and that's my jam. Like I was such an insecure and I am. You can be completely riddled with like the doubts and the voices telling you, don't do this. You're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And you can totally do stuff anyway and figure out how to not listen to those. So I love to find people who are like, oh yeah, I'm terrified this week because I have this scary meeting and here's how I'm going to deal with it. And Mm -hmm. hopefully pump all of us up with that idea. Like, oh, you can, you can do hard things too. Yeah. It's so, as I said, it's like, it's so inspirational. I was listening to it in the bath and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go and conquer the fucking world. Like, why not? Oh oh my gosh, please do. We need you to, Emily. (laughs) Go conquer the world. I'll put that on my to-do list. (laughs) Put it on your, what is today? Saturday? Saturday to-do list. Buy some bananas, return (laughs) that item to Target, conquer the world. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. No worries. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. Thank Um, you too. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Why This Film. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned at the end of this and every episode for your movie trivia question and to find out next week's film. If you enjoy Why This Film, why not head to iTunes and leave a review? And you can now support Why This Film on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast you can support us from as little as one pound a month just look for the unicorn you can also follow us on social media we're on facebook at why this film podcast instagram at why this film podcast and twitter at why this film pod you can also find us on youtube at why this film where we post challenging movie quizzes for the film nerd so check it out if you think you're cool enough If you'd like to be a part of Why This Film and chat about your favourite childhood movie, 
email in at whythisfilmpodcast at gmail.com. It's trivia time and the aim of the game is drink. I'm going to give you three rules from a movie drinking game. You just have to tell me what the movie is. Drink when Sarah says it's not fair. You see a clock on the screen. You spot David Bowie's face hidden in the scenery. To answer, head over to any of our social media pages, find the question and leave your answer in the comments. The answer and all those that got it correct will be announced on next week's episode. Speaking of next week's episode, I'm here to announce which film we will be looking at. It's E.T. So there you have it. We'll see you then. Why This Film Podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid. Head to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast and you can select a tier. For £3 a month, you can join Camelot and enjoy early access to episodes, including seasons one to three. You'll get to vote in polls and get a personal shout out on the pod. For £5 a month, you can join Fern Gully with instant access to everything from Camelot. Fern Gully members can also enjoy bonus content, live episode voting power, plus access to monthly movie night. Grab your popcorn and a drink of your choice as we pajama up and watch a movie together remotely. And for £10 a month, you can join the Enchanted Forest, where on top of everything from Camelot and Fern Gully, you can be part of a live episode where we all discuss a movie chosen by you. And if you're not into 80s and 90s animated tiers, you can skip all that and make a custom pledge of an amount that suits you. Or you can head over to co-fi.com forward slash podcast and buy me a coffee with a one-off payment. We will be adding hot chocolate to that coffee. And probably cream and marshmallows and sprinkles. But you don't need to worry about that. Thank you to all who donate. And thanks to my patron David for supporting this episode on Patreon. Why This Film Podcast is my happy place. I love chatting to guests and revisiting long lost movies. And I hope you do too.